We all want our children to grow to be resilient, to be able to cope with whatever life throws at them. Today, I'm going to talk to you about resilience and how we as parents and also as educators can promote this important quality in children. You're listening to the Early Learning Podcast, brought to you by StoryPark. If you want to get in touch, just send us an email at media at storypark.com. You can also watch this interview on YouTube, which was filmed for our online talk show called Mat Time. You'll find this at youtube.com slash storyparktv. Thanks everyone for coming. I'm Dr. Kayleen Henderson. I'm a child psychiatrist. I'm a mother of three and I'm also the founder of A Dose of Awesomeness. And today we're going to be talking about resilience. So resilience is the ability to bounce back, keep going and adapt when life throws at you the tricky stuff, the tough times, the setbacks and the stress that inevitably come our way in life. Now, resilience isn't an innate trait. It's not a trait that children are born with. So as parents and educators, one of the important parts of our role is actually to, to build up this important quality in children. And there's quite a few ways we can do this, both through the experiences that we offer them and also through our interactions with them. Now, one of the really important ways we can build up resilience in children is by allowing them to experience both the ups and downs of life. We all want our children to have happy, magical childhoods uh, and that will mostly be the case. Childhood is a really fun, happy time, free from the stresses of grown-up land, but it shouldn't always be the case. It's really important that our children are exposed to manageable setbacks and disappointments uh, and that they're allowed the opportunities to face those setbacks and disappointments. Because when they have a chance to handle the little stuff, then we equip them to be more capable of handling the big stuff uh, when they get bigger. And, and certainly that becomes increasingly important as they become teenagers and young adults, that they have had those experiences, that opportunities to, to practice coping with the tricky stuff in life that they'll inevitably face. It's important to distinguish between a couple of the different types of stress that our children face. So when we allow our children to face manageable setbacks and disappointments, uh, tolerable stress, if you like, in the context of a supportive relationship, then this produces what we call positive stress responses in children. Uh, this is the stuff that really builds resilience in our kids. In contrast, some children are exposed to more prolonged or overwhelming or intense stress, which produces what we call toxic stress responses. So, for example, some children, as we know, are sadly exposed to abuse, neglect, family violence. This is really overwhelming, intense stress that isn't buffered by a supportive relationship. Uh, so it's sort of a double whammy for kids, if you like. So it's important to be able to distinguish between these different types of stress for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it really highlights for us that we shouldn't be protecting children from stress. Stress is actually really good for kids, but we need to make sure that the kind of stress that they're exposed to is a stress that helps and not harms them. The second way we can promote resilience in children is by allowing them opportunities to take non-dangerous risks. This is really important and an area that I think a lot of us as parents probably don't do enough of compared with our predecessors. Children need practice judging and taking risk. What we don't want is to protect children from these opportunities only to have them grow up to be teenagers who are having a crack at risk taking for the first time when they're deciding whether or not to get into a drunk friend's car. We actually need to provide children with opportunities to judge which risk to take and which risk to leave well alone. So an example we often think about with children is tree climbing and it's one that always comes to my mind since my children are avid tree climbers. 
the important thing is children are climbing trees taller than your head to try and keep your mouth shut when all you want to call out is be careful, be careful, be careful, because that doesn't help our kids. But instead, think about how you can scaffold the experience so that you're teaching them how to judge that risk. So teaching them that as they go higher than you can reach, as they go higher uh, up the tree, to have a down plan. So for each branch they climb, think about how they're going to get down. Uh, think about testing branches as they go. The key is really to teach them how to manage the experience rather than prevent them from having them because children really do need experience judging and taking risks, just like they need to practice all sorts of things when they're young. Uh, it really equips them for adulthood and really does build resilience as they get older. One of the other really helpful ways to build resilience in our children is for parents and educators to help children just enough. And by that I mean just enough that they can actually do tasks by themselves. My dad always comes to mind when I think about this. When I was a child, he used to loosen the jam jar just enough that it was no longer impossible, but it was still pretty tricky to get open. And when you manage tricky tasks as a child, it not only extends your skill set and builds upon your sense of mastery, but it really instills in you a sense that you are a competent and capable person when you can master, master tricky things. Um, I often also think of my, one of my daughters who, when she was about 18 months, she was this gorgeous little blonde curly-haired girl who was very into any opportunity to tackle something that she might have otherwise thought was too hard for her. And she couldn't yet say, yes, I did it by myself. But whenever she did tackle something that was a little too tricky for her and managed to succeed with that task, she would throw both her hands up in the air and declare, self! <laughs> and I just remember being struck by how important those moments are for our children, those self moments. You know, each time we allow our children to have those self moments, we are really building their sense of competence and that they are a capable person and that they can handle the tricky stuff which inevitably ties into resilience. Now, it's not just important to think about the physical tasks. You know, we often think about helping our children just enough with tying their shoelaces or dressing themselves or managing tricky playground equipment, whatever it might be. But it's equally important to think about how we can help children just enough with difficult or challenging social situations. So when children come to you, with a difficult social situation, it's important, equally important, to think about how you can help that child just enough to manage the situation themselves uh, in those social situations. So when children come to you and they've been left out of a birthday party or they're having trouble with a child who won't share or whatever it might be, it's equally important to think, how can I help this child just enough to be able to manage this themselves? Providing that connection, that empathic understanding, that, that moment of I get it, that is really important for children and for your relationship. Allowing them to come up with opportunities or ideas for what they might be able to do in that situation and then empowering them to choose which one they're gonna go with. So you're really helping them just enough to learn problem solving skills themselves. And that's really important. It's really important that our children do feel like independent, capable problem solvers. Some people think it's helpful to throw kids into the deep end, push them into situations in which they don't have the skills to manage or to push children away when they're feeling upset and allow them to deal with their feelings on their own. And they mistakenly believe, uh, albeit in a well-intentioned way, that this will build resilience in their children, but it's actually quite the opposite. Our children 
need to know that they're supported going into situations that they find challenging. And they equally need to know that we're their go-to person, if they're having a tough time, uh, if they're feeling upset and requiring comfort. Um, it's, it's certainly something that is really important for children to know as they get older and as they go further, that they can always come to us no matter what, when life gets difficult. That, that does build resilience. That certainly builds independence when children know that they can go further because they've got us to turn to uh, if things have got a little tricky. Now, this might be a different way of parenting than, than you've experienced. Uh, it, it often is for parents. Uh, and if that's the case, I'd certainly love to help you learn how to provide that sort of relationship for children. But it's incredibly important to always be your child's go-to person. And in fact, it's even better if children have more than one go-to person. It's really helpful if they are in an educational care environment or if they are with extended family, that they equally feel supported by whoever they're with, that they know that whatever challenges they may face in that situation, that they can turn to whoever they're with and feel comforted if needed, to feel supported and to be seen as being good and capable. All those qualities uh, that we want to instill in our children and we want them to see themselves as being. When we build this really healthy foundation for children by allowing them to take non-dangerous risks, by allowing them to experience both the ups and downs of life, by providing them with opportunities to have positive stress responses, by helping them just enough and by always being their go-to person, providing comfort when they need. We really do provide a healthy foundation for children that will set them up to be better equipped to handle whatever life might throw at them down the track. That's how we build resilience. And when we do this for our children, you as parents and educators can stand back and say, self. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? Uh, so bedtime. And uh, so my daughter has just started climbing out of the, the cot. Yeah. So uh, we took off the, the door. So now she has to stay in bed and we have to tell her to stay in bed. So this is more of a discipline question, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's also resilience because she just does, and she's at that age where she's just almost two, so she's coming on tantrum sort of age. Um, is that the sort of stress, you know, to leave her in that, in that, in her, in her room? Because if we leave the door a little bit open, she's just out there yeah. and she's num num, I want food, or like, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm sick, or like, yeah. she's just got all the manipulating, uh, all the techniques. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, is that, like, you know, what about, you know, closing the door? That sort of sounds like that bad stress that you're sort of talking about, or, like just letting her cry it out in there, and what, what would you suggest? Um, I think if, she, if she's distressed, uh, then it's, it's better to be able to position yourself as being her comforter. So leaving children in a position where you're not providing their, their need for comfort is, is generally not ideal. Um, what I generally suggest in situations like that where you're expecting her to sort of tackle something in a new way is provide opportunities through the day when she's alert, she's connected with you, she's playing, because they're actually the times that she learns best. Mm. And then provide her with lots of opportunities to practice what it is that you're expecting of her. Uh, so if that's the case, uh, and you're hoping that she'll be able to stay in her room um, for the night, which is, which is not unreasonable um, given her age, um, although you'll set her up for success knowing that you can come in and check on her and, and make sure she's going okay, if that's what she needs from you. Mm. Uh, what I'd suggest is during the day, grabbing you know some 
figures, some toy figures, or, you know, even making your own. You can make your own out of toilet rolls, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, and setting up a practice type situation in her play. So letting her know, so from tonight, what we're going to do is this, and you can show her in your play, and then you can practice that. Uh, you can do role plays, the same sort of thing. You can actually practice during the day. Okay, so remember what we're going to do tonight. Okay, so you go into bed and I'll do this. I'll say goodnight to you in this way. And then we're going to close the door and what are you going to do? Okay, excellent. Let's have a practice now. Because what we know is that children learn best when they're feeling playful, feeling connected. So if you can practice and encourage her to learn what's expected of her at those times, you're going to set her up more for success than... Uh, responding to the situation in a way that she finds distressing, if that makes sense. Yeah. The thing I've done with my kids too is just to let them know that you're going to keep coming back and checking on them. And the first few times you do this, you check on them at such a ridiculously frequent interval mm. that you literally, you go out and you turn around, you come back in and say, see, this is me checking on you. I told you I'd check on you. Okay, let's do it again. You, you do your thing. I'll come back and check on you. And then you, and then you do the same thing. So crazy you know, really frequent at the start. And then you just you just increase your intervals. Yeah. Um, but that is just reassuring for her to know that she doesn't have to wait too long for you to be there and she can maintain what she's supposed to be doing in that period of time, yeah. Otherwise it goes on and on and bedtime becomes a dreaded sort of time knowing that um, you're not gonna be available to her anymore. It's tricky though, I remember it well. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, I've got a little four-year-old. Yeah. Four going on fourteen. Yeah. She has discovered a great strategy when we try to give her options for things. If we're asking her, well, what's some options of things you could do? She's figured out that if she says, "I don't know," it's a great way of trying to get her off the hook. Mm-hmm. I mean, how would you recommend we push past that? Because obviously, she's if we say, "Oh, what's some options to respond to the situation?" She just persists with, "I don't know." Yeah. We're kind of like, okay. So in terms of when you're trying to encourage problem solving, is that yeah, when you... Solving. I think particularly in, in highly stressful situations when she's upset about something, we're trying to sort of suggest yeah. get her to come up with options of things she can do yeah. around that situation. Yeah. So a couple of things. The first one is that kids... Um, your brain works in a different way when you're upset. So different brain pathways are activated when you're really upset and they're not the ones that are responsible for language and logic and problem solving. So it's always really helpful when your child is upset to help them calm down first. And when they're calm, then you do the whole, okay, so what options do you have? Um, Because if you try, I mean, we've all been there as parents, you try to talk to your kids when they're really upset or explain why they needn't be upset or try to talk to them about their options. And it just doesn't go in when they're really upset or overwhelmed. So it's really important to get the order right. So you help children calm down first and then when they're calm, And you might find that just doing that is more successful. So come and have a cuddle. I'll help you calm down first. You're obviously feeling really upset. And then when they're calm, okay, darling, what do you think your options are now? Now that you're feeling a bit better and you're thinking more clearly, I wonder if you can come up with a couple of options that might make this situation a little better. Um, So you might find that helpful. The other thing is to keep it playful if they're still struggling. So you can say, okay, no worries. Well, I'll see if I can come up with one. And then you can come up with one that's ridiculous that's so playful and so so absurd that it sort of takes the pressure off and makes it less of a stress-inducing situation because if you've been able to come up with something so absurd, then it mustn't be too serious a situation. And then it might also make her realise anything I come up with is likely to be better than Dad's suggestion because that was ridiculous. <laughs> um, so it's sort of just... <laughs> 
Um, but it just reduces the pressure on that situation. So you might find that helpful. Yeah. What would you recommend um, for a five-year-old who takes an hour and a half to eat a bowl of rice bubbles mm. and half an hour to put, put their shoes on? <laughs> yeah. You're trying to get out the door and you don't want to get up before I am. Yeah. How do you not bring the stress into, into that Yeah. I think one of the things I found really helpful in that morning rush is staying with my kids along the way. What I found when I'm trying to get ready separately from them is when I try and get them up, send them down for breakfast and then I go and get dressed or have a shower or, or get ready for the day, is they generally come up with 101 reasons to seek me out and ask uh, so many questions of me that really don't need to be asked in that moment. What happens to us when we die? All sorts of things <laughs> come up at that moment where you wish they would just focus on the task. What I've found is actually more helpful is recognising that that's actually the time that they want to bank a bit of connection with me and, and likewise your children with you. That's their time to be with you because they know that you're setting off on your, on your path to work, they're setting off on their own adventures and they won't get to reconnect with you until the end of the day. It's your time to connect with them. So what I found is far more successful in the morning is I get, get up about 20 minutes before them, I get myself ready for the day, and then I sit and have breakfast with them. And then I go to the bathroom with them and we're all doing our tasks together. And they can sort of pace it with you because they know that you're soon gonna be finishing up with breakfast and going to the bathroom. And so they're gonna to wanna to come too. I found that a lot more helpful with my children, just getting ready together. Um, you know, it might not be the answer, but it certainly, it certainly helped. You've been listening to the Early Learning Podcast, brought to you by Story Park. Don't forget, if you'd like to get in touch, email us at media at storypark.com. At